Welcome to Two Priests Talking, a podcast where two priests sit down to have a conversation about our current cultural moment and how we might engage with what is happening in the world around us as faithful Christians. Greetings, I'm Father Aaron Wright, the rector at Old North Abbey Anglican Church here in Knoxville, Tennessee. I am one of the two priests talking, and we're hoping to bring you conversations about reasonable faith in what seems to be less than reasonable times. I'm the second priest of Two Priests Talking, Father Nick Hamilton, the associate rector here at Old North Abbey, and we are literally two priests talking. Hey, Father Nick. Hey! Father Aaron. What does my mug say? It says you're the world's greatest dad. I saw that down there. I like the uh, artwork by Phoebe. That is beautiful. Our kids do great artwork, and so she has given me uh, this cool world's greatest dad mug. That's uh, right. For painting on the front of it. Well, you know, it's better than buying your own world's greatest boss mug right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is. So uh, I appreciate that mug. People need to get those gifts for their boss. Right. It's weird if you buy it yourself. Sure. Totally, totally true. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you feel behind your microphone? You feel uncomfortable? You know, it's been a while. We keep saying this. (laughs) We're we're bad podcasters. Well, we're not. We're not? No, we're good podcasters. Our podcast (laughs) (laughs) has two two listeners still. Still. I think. Did yes. your wife listen to our last episode? Who? Yeah, of course <laughs> she did. Um, she liked it. She said it was not our best yet. No, no. My <laughs> wife said the same thing. And you know who else said that? My mom, which was even harder, you know? Yeah, when your mom comes down and is like, Psh, wasn't that great. Can I, I don't think my, my parents don't listen to this podcast. Well, maybe they should. No. I'll give them a shout out. Thanks. Yeah. Hi, Cindy. <laughs> That's Nick's mom. Um Deb and Charles, you should probably listen to this podcast. But we do have two faithful listeners. Just shout out on the front end before we get down to biz. Katie and Brenna. Yes. Thanks for listening. We we married up. We did marry up. Praise the Lord. Um, no, we, we have been away from the microphone for a while, and I hope that we're going to be back for a few weeks, at least every other week consecutively now mm-hmm. for a while. Part of what our delay was Omicron. due to <laughs> was Optimus Omicron. Um, was not due to Omicron. Uh, it was really due to the fact that we wanted to talk about abortion next. Correct. And in the process of thinking about talking about abortion, we recognized we needed to spend some time laying some groundwork. Correct. So this will be one first of a either four or a five part uh, series that we want to talk about on abortion. And we wanted to do a little bit of homework. We wanted to really think about it, not from just the talking points that we always hear, because that can be exhausting, which we'll get into a little bit today. But we wanted to come at it from a different perspective. Yeah. And hopefully we'll do justice to this because, and I think this is part of it, like Father Aaron and I are priests, right? Our job is pastoral. It's word and sacrament. We're to be people who study scripture, teach scripture to the best of our ability, and who administer the sacraments faithfully. It's not that this is outside of our wheelhouse, but in some ways, it's a little bit outside of our wheelhouse. Yeah, the temptation. Well, for you and I, it's a fairly simple thing. What I mean by that is, is you and I would be like, we don't, We are pro-life. We don't believe in the killing of the unborn. But in a podcast format, that would just be it. Sure. And we could walk away. Right. And be like, yeah, we said what we needed to say. The church has never said anything else. Yeah. (laughs) So the thing that we wanted to do, though, was to have a conversation about why. We want to set the stage for why are we where we're at. Right. And, And to look at that through a multifaceted lens of, yeah. of what we're going to talk about today. And you're going to lead us in this conversation of a, a second and a third world viewpoint crashing together. Right. We wanted to talk about this uh, probably in the next podcast on a historical framework um, of just what's going on in history yeah. in the 60s, 70s, 
um, and maybe even a little bit before that, that leads up to a decision like Roe v. Wade and the huge abortion debate, right? And then we wanted to start looking at it from the perspective of um, kind of biblical. The, yeah. Yeah. And looking, the new Gnosticism, yeah. even before we jump into all that. Yeah. And then even in the fourth or fifth, and this is where we're still putting it all together, is is maybe even from a little bit of a scientific perspective, like what's actually taking place. And so if you're here today to hear us just sort of get all of the abortion stuff out of the way, it's not going to happen. Yeah, come back in a few episodes. Come back. We're going to start building up. Come back for all the episodes. Yeah. Um, and we're going to start trying to build um, sort of an overarching umbrella about, you know, how do we get down to this point yeah. where um, abortion is something that is a part of our world now right. in a way that can in some ways seem celebrated or attempted to protect how does a woman walk into a abortion clinic and get an abortion it doesn't happen in um uh it happens it doesn't happen in a vacuum I mean, no there's something going on in the world whereby this becomes for many uh as uh, they see an appropriate response to pregnancy right and i'm done talking right well and i think that's an excellent kind of baseline for where we're headed because the fact of the matter is abortion isn't one of those things that just happened overnight throughout the history of humanity infanticide's been a thing right people have left their children out in elements to die there's been all sorts of those pieces right but as a society now going from a place where that was something that might have been done in secret and with tremendous amounts of shame to a place where now there's legal protection for the act of abortion that like you said didn't happen in a vacuum and so Correct. what were the philosophical shifts what were some of the thought process shifts what was the emotional even spiritual space that we used to exist in that we've now moved out of and in our first episode i did chat briefly about this idea of a second world, third world um, kind of framework, if you will. And that's where we're going to start today. And we'll hopefully not bore you guys too much, but I, I've been reading and rereading a book by Carl Truman called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And it's been a fascinating read for me personally. And part of what's been so fascinating is his engagement with this shift in thought process that we've seen in the last hundred years, but that really extends back to the Romantic period, and uh, you could go back to the Reformation even. But there's this reality that, for instance, 2,000 years ago, we had a, what humanity would call a first world framework, all right? And in the first world, and I think this is kind of a framework that you and, <laughs> you and I talk about a lot, but in the first world framework, meaning was found through your tribal location, right? You were part of a tribe. Correct. And your tribe had rites of passage for you to move into adulthood, whatever that might be, you know? And those rites of passage were often located within the framework of tribal gods, like a plurality of gods. Mm -hmm. And so you think about some of the old kind of Celtic traditions or even... Uh, some of our own uh, Native American traditions here where people would go on dream quests and vision quests and things like that and have to go into the wilderness for X amount of days until they saw a vision. And then that vision that they received would direct their life. Their sure. name would change. Sure. All of these things, right? You know, a lot of people just were like, I got to fake one to get out of the wilderness. <laughs> right. They're just faking a vision. Yeah, I saw a jackal <laughs> chewing on a skunk. Nah, and we'll call you skunk jackal. You know, like, yeah, they, they were probably hungry. Sure. Who knows? Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know. There's a part of me that actually loves that and right. feels like we need to recover some of that, um, I don't know, movement into adulthood for people today, that sense of meaning. I think the church actually has that if we do catechism and confirmation well. Um, but I do think that that's a struggle. So that would be kind of that first world framework. And meaning would be found in living as a part of your family and your tribe and mm -hmm. serving your local gods, right? And then there was a shift away from that into what is known as kind of a second world framework. Mm -hmm. And it's the second world framework that most of us as Christians still function within, hopefully, right? 
And that second world framework engages with a transcendent God who has created us for a particular purpose and all of humanity lives underneath this transcendent God who loves us and cares for us and does intend to use us in his plan and purpose for his creation, right? So for us as Christians, we would say that Jesus Christ was the incarnate God who came in order to reveal to us more perfectly what God had been revealing throughout the Old Testament scriptures in such a way that we could now understand what our purpose as image bearers is, right? Why do we exist? Mm-hmm. Uh, go ahead. No, I mean, I'm just agreeing with you. Um, yeah, it, it's in my head. I don't want to say it yet because I want, when you get to the yeah. third worldview, I, I want to bring up a point that I find to be interesting. Okay. Continue, yeah. continue in. So that, that's kind of that, that second world framework. And for us in the West, the thing that is important for us to remember is that almost all of our political systems that exist right now were born out of that second world framework. Judeo-Christian uh, morality is still the dominant morality for all of the West, right? Yes, and you could even say for a good portion of the world. Right, and I, I would argue for a good portion of the world. There are still those parts of the world that live in a first world framework, right, that are more tribal with their local gods and deities sure. and things. But we actually believe as Christians that Jesus, in his incarnation, death, and resurrection, was showing us the way that we ought to live now for the rest of our life. And as a result, Christianity, as it moved throughout the world, not only took this belief system, but also this way of living. Sure. And within that way of living, we see our rules of law and our understanding of justice mm-hmm. and our understanding of peace and all of these things develop, right? Yeah. To the point where civilization, most civilized societies, not all, right? The East, uh, China, some of these other places did develop civilization apart from a Judeo-Christian framework. but society exists as a result of this second world framework yeah. but now we're undergoing a shift now let now here's what i would like to say yeah go ahead um, and I, I think it's important for people to realize um and this is one of the main points of tension when jordan peterson and sam harris were having their conversation even though it was about atheism um, the idea of, of jordan peterson proclaiming there'd be a god uh, Sam Harris, not. The, the difficulty is what I want people to understand is whether you believe in God or not, or whether you believe in a Judeo-Christian worldview mm. or anything along those lines, the world in which you live has been so thoroughly shaped by this that even people who would not claim to be Christian right. will still hold to a legal Christian ethic. Yes. Most of the time. Because like, the sense of justice. Yes. So there's still, so it's ingrained in us. Now, right. whether you're listening to this and you're a Christian or not, you have been ingrained and formed and shaped in a way whereby you see the world uh, through a Christian lens when it comes to even our legal system or how we function ethically with one another, the concept of even sharing is <laughs> we teach our kids sure all of these things are rooted in uh, a judeo-christian ethic right that we can't escape so right we're not trying to say and i mean i would say this is the correct worldview but to play devil's advocate you don't even have to believe it's the correct worldview right but you're participating in it right and you're actually trying to live your life in this way yes so i think that's important to know no, I think you're, you're totally right. Even our sense of injustice and inequity and all of those things are rooted in a Judeo-Christian framework that apart from, uh, really, I mean, honestly, apart from Judeo-Christian thought process, we wouldn't consider unjust or inequitable. The right. idea that we want everyone to have the dignity of their humanity honored and everyone to live in some ways within a healthy and comfortable uh, framework is a Judeo-Christian thought process rooted in the idea and reality that all of humanity is created in the image of God, right? Correct. 
Now that first world framework did not view things like that, no. which is why you had tribal warfare, which is why you had tribal subjugation, which is why you had all sorts of terrible things. Even if, I mean, if you read Empire of the Summer Moon about the Comanches, the Comanches were a fascinating tribal people because they viewed pretty much everyone else as an enemy, right? Correct. So yeah. for them to rape and to pillage and to torture and to enslave was not an immoral thing to do. It was moral within their conception of how the world worked. Sure. And you even see this. Um, I mean, I think it's interesting. You see this even with the Israelites in some ways um, when they're battling with gods against gods, this idea of uh, the God of our mountain is greater than the God of your mountain or your valley. Um, so you do have this sort of tribal thing that's inherent. Interestingly, um, in some ways, when we get to the third world, I think it's interesting that the third world still picks up on some of that first world mm -hmm. intentions mm -hmm. of this sort of tribe. We see that now with like, it's still ingrained in us. Like we're not, and so part of the truth is, right. is that we haven't left all of the first world sort of thought processes behind. No. We still do that. I mean, I'll give you two great examples. There's these two groups of people called Democrats and Republicans, mm -hmm. and both of them have like, they're sort of the things that they serve and and I'm not getting into a political conversation, sure. but we do typically tend to tribal ourselves off, right? That's just a part of who we are as humans. The second world framework gets shifted and changed when you begin to look at um, this sort of transcendent God, and our understanding of that begins to shift and change, Sure, as demonstrated through uh, the writings of Scripture, and you could even say, you could even say in the writings of the Quran, you do have this idea, right, that there's one God who is now Right. Um, over all things. Right. But yeah. So, and, and to your point where, where we as Christians would really hang our hat is this reality that in Christ, the tribal divisions of the world cease to exist for all who are baptized into his life, death and resurrection. Yes. And so there's this real beautiful peace that can exist which we all, I think, long for in some ways. We all want the world to be peaceful. We all want wars to cease. We all want to get along. As Christians, we recognize that that only happens in and through Jesus Christ, right? Right. And part of the difficulty of living in a first world framework or a third world framework, and I should really acknowledge that these ideas come from uh, Philip Reef, who he's the one who coined this first world, second world, third world terminology. And we're going to look a little bit at some of his stuff and even Charles Taylor's stuff as we talk about this. But um, living in the first world and the third world in particular do not allow for peace in the way that all of humanity, I believe, longs for peace because there is not a transcendent good who is God who can unify us so that we can live together sure right right so in, in the first world this will help people i think in the first world the um the ethic or the uh the moral value or the framework comes from the community or the tribal understanding right. of a people and as we move into the third world what we will see is is it moves towards the individual right right and in that second framework there's just something beyond ourselves yeah and we all live that way. Right. You know, but now there's a fight going on. There's a tension, and it's been going on for a while, but it just didn't happen a few minutes ago. Sure. Between the second world and the third world. So unpack that for us. Talk to us about this tension now from the second world, which we've discussed, a little bit of the first world. Yeah. Second world, and now moving into what the we third see world. as the third world. Yeah. Well, let me, let me read this quote quick. Um, this is from Reef. And he says, A culture survives principally by the power of its institutions to bind and loose men in the conduct of their affairs with reasons which sink so deep into the self that they become commonly and implicitly understood, right? So cultures survive through the ability of their institutions to unite their people, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And um, historically, right, cultures have through their institutions, tried to direct people outward to things bigger than themselves. Historically, that has been the way that societies have thrived. You look at all of the greatest empires, we could just take Rome, for instance, yeah. 
And Rome succeeded in becoming the empire that it became as a result of its citizens buying into this idea of Rome being something greater than themselves, right? And so they lived as good citizens. They died as good citizens, Yes. right? And we now have transitioned into a time where our cultural symbols, if you will, are no longer big enough to hold humanity together because we've lost the sense of a transcendent good. And I would say because in particular, we've lost the sense of there being a God who has a purpose for our lives and has invited us to participate with him in the world. And this is the foundation of this third world framework. It's the loss Mm -hmm. of that transcendent God. No, I mean, I, when you said those words, immediately what came to mind is, is we don't even think God has an opinion mm. unless that opinion is sort of in support of what I would believe. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so God right. It's like right. supporting my opinion. Right. And yeah. this is, this is that third world framework. So let me just unpack this quickly. Please the third, the third world framework is much more imminent. It's not transcendent, right. right? God is transcendent. The third world framing framework is imminent in that for you, Aaron, you do you, and that is good enough, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. the world that we live in now where the understanding of something beyond me directing my life is no longer a reality. We don't believe it. It doesn't exist. And it's maybe not that, like you said, we've become atheists. It's just that we now believe in a God whose goal for each and every one of us is not holiness, is not greater purpose, is not unity with our fellow man, but rather is our happiness. And happiness is a low bar. You know, I ate a bite of chocolate before I left the house to come to church, and that chocolate bite made me happy, right? But you don't look as fit today. Right. But it doesn't matter because we're not worried about that anymore. (laughs) Right. No, I mean, this is true. You, We have it written on the board. It's it's an individualized virtue, and it's a morality uh, of happiness. It equals happiness. And there's nothing wrong with being happy. Um, And... It's a good thing. Right? Sure. Um, some things that make me happy may be a detriment to everybody else. Sure. Um, well, and some things that make you happy might actually be a detriment to yourself. Oh well, they usually are. Right. Right. Um, but you're 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 on. So, but this has infiltrated uh, our culture. Our culture, uh, like on every level, and this would be where uh, Charles Taylor's idea of a social imaginary would come in. Okay, mm-hmm. and he would talk about this idea that reality is not so much reality, but what the broader society has imagined to be reality and as a result lives as if it was reality. And I think that that would be where happiness becomes this social imaginary that defines our reality. Right now, it's all about the individual's sense of happiness. If you can create happiness in your life, through doing X or through doing Y, then you ought to do that. If someone else causes you to experience a lack of happiness, you shouldn't have anything to do with them. You might as well put them out of your life because they're ruining what your goal of life is. Yeah, this is called defriending people on Facebook. Right, right. I'm unfriending you. Or, you know, there's a lot of language around boundaries. I'm going to put up some boundaries. You don't fit in my boundaries because you make me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so you're out, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, everybody gets to create their own little world and everybody gets to create their own little culture, their own little ethos for their life, whereby they become the authority on who is and who isn't within their uh, little world. Uh, So you said they create, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think there's something to that. I don't, I don't know that we like create our own ethos. I like the word invent better. Yeah, no, no. I mean, but, but I hear what, I know, I know exactly what you're saying, but I think that it's an important distinction, but people are constantly inventing this new morality for themselves so that 
if this thing that used to be a part of their life and their morality no longer meets them and makes them happy, they eschew it, right? I'm done with this. Absolutely. Uh, and so as a result, I'm going to incorporate this into my life. Sure. Well, give us an example. We had talked about wanting to give people some helpful examples about how do you see that taking shape? Yeah. And this is where you get into deep water always, like right away. I think some of the most poignant examples um, are the most controversial. Right. But let I, me, go I, ahead. I'm going to stop before you even get into a controversial. Sure. Well, I've got a simple one that's not controversial. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, great. Well, then do it because I, we, we will get into those things. But Sure. Yeah. Well, I think food. I, w- I would just start with food. And I think that one of the things that's interesting about, uh, and you can read about this, but the evolution of our diets as Westerners in particular, mm-hmm. ha- the evolution of our diets has been crazy. Oh, it's insane. Watching the difference between at one point in time being subsistence farmers, right, who ate what came with the seasons to our kind of global consumption process that we engage with now we can eat whatever we want when we want for instance i just said i ate a bite of chocolate Mm -hmm. before i came over here chocolate used to be something that was so rare right it would be a treat for a holiday and i just broke a piece off of this candy bar that's sitting on the top shelf where my kids can't see it that i've been slowly consuming as i want to consume it whenever i have a, a desire for chocolate yeah and sadly it didn't make you as happy as it would have made somebody happy 400 years ago no or even fruit for that matter this is the fascinating thing you know we get bananas here in tennessee (laughs) right we get bananas we have oranges we have apples we have lemons limes avocados all of it year round whereas those used to be in many ways a delight and a delicacy because of their rarity in the same day i can have a glass of wine which would have been really rare with like habanero cheese a banana right um uh some kind of dates yeah dates or figs, figs. or olives right i can Ooh, eat olives. all those things today that come from all over the world and it, and it, it's yeah we we have and that's what i was going to ask you to do is to give us something i think in a material way like we do this with clothing right uh, we do this with everything we have everything um and so We've been able to invent ourselves over and over again. Right. We do it with how we eat, what we eat. We have the capacity now to go on diets. Mm-hmm. When in the past, can you imagine trying to tell somebody a thousand years ago you need to go on a diet? What a diet was. I mean, maybe the uber wealthy. Sure. But beyond that, no. So, and, and to, but to interfere with that, um, this is the interesting thing. I think what you're saying is correct. Um, to interfere with that, uh, to interfere with people's ability to choose. To be they, happy. Yeah, to choose to be happy. What they want for their life right now um, is considered um, an attack on their person. Yeah. And the world that they've wanted to invent or create for themselves. Right, right. Yeah, and I think, you know, we'll take one more example. And this one's not all that controversial because the church is always taught this. I don't feel like any of these examples should be controversial, but our current moment in time is, uh, is such that they are controversial, but even just, um, sexual intimacy outside of a married relationship. Correct. Right. We used to live in a time when sexual intimacy was for a man and a woman inside the confines of marriage. And it was in particular for it was understood to be for the procreation of children. Not that it wasn't also a delight and a joy for the married couple. Well, it's in our language. It's, there's a mutual joy to it. Right. But that's more than just the sexual relationship of a man and a woman. But yeah, right. for procreation. Right. There were, there were consequences to having sex. Right, exactly. And I don't mean consequence in a negative way. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. Just, yeah. Pregnancy was often the result of having sexual intercourse. That's how it happens. Right. And we now live in a time where... The current social imaginary mm-hmm. is such that sexual intimacy should have no repercussions. It should only lead to happiness and to physical fulfillment, right? Yeah. That's the, that's the belief. Yeah. Well, I have a story about this. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I was listening to someone give a speech one time, 
about their experience in their life. And they were in their early 20s. And they talked about, it was really interesting listening to this person say this because we were trying to, well, that's another. She's talking about her experience and she said that her and her boyfriend, she goes, and then I ended up getting pregnant. (laughs) And she's like, and I said to myself, God, how did this happen? Like, how in the world? Sex ed's really bad. How in the world (laughs) did this happen? How could this have happened to me? Um, This was not, and the the, the language was, this was not supposed to happen to me. I don't want to laugh, but all I want to do is laugh. And I said, in my mind, and I'm trying to be courteous in this person's speech, I wanted to talk to them about it later. I was like, what do you mean? How could this have happened to you? How can you mean this was not supposed to happen to me? Because there's such a disconnect. Right. There truly is. We don't think that what we do actually should have repercussions. <laughs> yeah. In all kinds of things that we do. No. Uh, yeah. And this is, this is one of the big ones because we're talking about abortion, this idea that how does this happen? Right. Well, well when I a man and a woman yeah. have sex— Sure. I mean, we could go through this and explain our, it. I mean, but a good portion of our children here at church know that this is how babies Hopefully, Hopefully they do know because yeah. we talk about it. Sure. But not from the pulpit necessarily for those Don't of you who want to come visit Nobody Old North. Nobody get freaked out. Yeah. But, um, but there is this reality, right, that we have detached sexual intimacy from relationship, mm-hmm. right, and from procreation. Correct. Such that it's all about enjoyment and sensuality yes and i think that that's a fascinating example of this third world framework right a second world framework acknowledges that sex was a good gift from a god who created us for the reasons of filling the world right and then beyond that taking care of the world now we can i say it's a much more scientific approach you mean yeah. sperm meets egg? Yeah, I mean, there was like a sense that this is how things happen. Right, yeah. Like, this is common knowledge. This has always been around. Right. This idea that this actually has ramifications. But right. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, We've invented a world. Right. It's our social imaginary. Where it doesn't always mean that. Right. And I think that this is where... Um, the tension between the second world and the third world comes in, right? Because we now live in a day and age where our actions, we acknowledge have consequences, but we want to be not only in control of our actions, but also in control of the consequences. And so we have created a system where my actions don't, necessarily have to have if it's a negative action or if it's an action for instance extramarital sex or sex outside the confines of marriage where if pregnancy is the result there can be the quote-unquote lack of consequence which is because it's not what i wanted right right and we don't i don't want to jump into abortion sure just yeah but there's this reality where that only exists in this third world framework and I think that it's important to acknowledge that the third world and the second world frameworks are diametrically opposed to one another. They cannot coexist. Say that one more time. The third world framework and the second, and the second yeah, world yeah. framework are diametrically opposed to one another. Sure. They are the antithesis of one another, and they cannot coexist well, if at all. Right. And in fact, the argument that Reef would make is that the third world has to subjugate the second world. And the, the argument could be made the other way that maybe the second world feels like it has to subjugate the third world, but I would argue that within the Judeo-Christian framework, we actually have what's called freedom of religion, and that has been a principle that only exists as a result of the second world Judeo-Christian kind of framework. So there's this understanding that Christians acknowledge there are different worldviews. We believe that we have the correct belief that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And we will tell you about that, but we will not force you to believe that thing. Sure. The opposite is true of the third world framework. 
The third world framework will not rest until the second world framework is eradicated. Yes, and this is an important thing because the every worldview, every framework believes it's the truth. Right. Well, that's true. Yeah. And that's an important thing to remember. Uh, but the third world framework would never say that it believes that it's true. Um, in the way that it would say, no, you get to decide that for yourself. Right. But I'm going to impose this on you. It's intriguing. Right. So, yes. For instance, there's this reality that if I have determined that X is true for myself, it is not enough for you to say that X is true for you, but I disagree with it. You need to also say that X is true for you, and I affirm that for you, right? That would be not just what we would call the tension of... Um, tolerance right true tolerance says i will tolerate your idea i disagree with your idea we can discuss your idea i will tolerate our your idea in the same way that you will tolerate my idea right that's the tension between tolerance and conformity if you say that tolerance is not enough but you must actually affirm my choices as being the true choices that's conformity. You're asking me to conform to this reality that you've created for yourself. Right. Which is where the third world exists. Correct. Your truth could be different for you, Aaron, than it is for me, but you I have and to affirm I, my truth. Right. Yes. Yeah. And um, if you don't, then you're my enemy. Right. Which we move now back into this cyclical thing of now a first world right, tribalism, because, which right. is intriguing. Right. Uh, so I don't see them as just one, two, three linear. I see them as sort of a cyclical process. Right now, we're creating a new kind of tribalism, right? Um, based around who wants to affirm certain things with people and individuals. Right. Yes, um, this is an intriguing thing, and a lot of it, as we've talked about in the past, so much of this has been um, sped up through technological advancements. Yes, right. Yes, I mean in a way that we can't handle it. Right. No, not we even close. Cannot handle our technological advancements. It, they they're outdoing us. We don't know how to hang on to anything. Everything's moving us so quickly. It almost feels like now we just have to start affirming things all the time. Sure. Um well, and it's interesting too because we're being shaped by our technologies in such a way that our options, say, for instance, in a social media context for some for responding to someone's idea are what? I can give you a thumbs up. I can give you a thumbs down. I can give you a heart. I can give you a guy hugging a heart because I care about your idea. Right? Is that what that means? Yeah, yeah, care. Or oh, really? I can give you an angry face. Mm. Or I can give you a sad face. Right? There isn't a emoticon, an emoji, whatever the heck they're called for i disagree with you i'd like to discuss this more in a social and really amicable manner can we sit down and have a conversation about this what would that be would that be like rodin's thinker is that what the, maybe uh, the thinker holding a cup of coffee like or two people holding coffees across the table you know should make something like that right Let's sit down and chit chat yeah about this. well we should just abandon ship on all of the social media platforms I but i think and just to make sure we've got this clear, I think that the second world framework, right, regards the world as having, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote, this is from uh, Truman, regards the world as having a given order and a given meaning, and thus it sees human beings as required to discover that meaning and conform themselves to it, right? A third world framework is one in which transcendent purpose has collapsed into the imminent and which given purposes collapse into any purpose I choose to create or decide for myself, right? You could say that human nature becomes something individuals or societies have to invent for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that that distinction is really important because the idea of there being transcendent meaning that we all as humans are reaching for and then uniting around is completely different than 
transcend or imminent meaning being in me and in you, we have to find that meaning and then invent our life around it. Mm-hmm. Those, I mean, that second one feels exhausting. The third world framework is exhausting to me. I don't want to constantly have to be reinventing what it means to be human. No, um, I, you, you don't. And that's because in the third world, in the third world framework, there's no archetypal human. Right. No, there isn't. This is one of the issues. There isn't. Which is, this is the kind of stuff that I love to talk about. Sure. Is I mean, and this is scriptural. Yeah, like Christ becomes the archetypal human. And, and not just in Western culture. This is the funny thing. Like everybody around the world, if they hear the story of Jesus, just goes, that guy. Right. Like that's the, that's the, that's the guy. He's the guy. He was, even if they don't agree with his deity, he was a great human being. Yeah. I mean, right? everybody wants to, nobody's like, that Jesus guy was a jerk. Yeah. He really stunk. Yeah. It, so you have an archetypal human figure. Right. Right. Um, whereby we as humans can say that's what it means to be truly human. Right. And the third world doesn't offer that to us. The third world framework says you yourself can become your own archetypal human. creation. Yeah. You're human for yourself so that you will know what it is to truly be human. Right. And we don't do well with that. No, not in the least. No. Uh, it, it, so there, there is no archetypal framework. We try to create them. Sure. Right? We have heroes, but all of them are horrible right now. There's no like, I mean, if I say, what's a good hero? Well, I mean, I like Batman, but he's a terrible hero. He'd be a terrible archetype, right? Yeah. Or, I mean... We try to hold on to individuals. Yeah, I mean, who who else? I mean, all of our heroes fall. Yeah, I mean, they're all... You see, so there's no... Like, we don't have an archetypal figure really outside of Jesus. Well, and I think it's actually interesting because our social imaginary, our moment in time, this third world framework that the majority of the West is living in right now has such a high standard for perfection that if anyone slips up in any way, say as a teenager or in their 20s in college, they did X or Y, and all of a sudden they're written off for the rest of their life. You know, there's calls for the politician who dresses in blackface when he's in his early 20s and he's now in his 60s to resign or whatever else it might be. There isn't room within our social imaginary now for humanity to progress. There's a sense that you have to arrive, you have to arrive quickly. If you ever screw it up, you're a pariah and you're done. There's no room for grace in this third world framework, which is a fascinating thing for me too. Well, for other people. Sure. But we require it for ourselves. We're allowed to be in progress, but no one else is. Right. Yeah, Which is really intriguing. Sure. I'm really learning about myself right now. Sure. I know, you know. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Keep going. No, I'm really learning about myself right now, and um, I'm I'm on a journey. Yes. To just self-discovery about yes. who I am. Actually, I've decided my name isn't Nick anymore. I now want to be called Fiffeltriggy from now on. You know, whatever it might yeah, be. Sure. Well, I would not probably call you Fiffeltriggy. Really? No. It is from Out of the Silent Planet. If you weren't a Nick, <laughs> you'd be a. I'm Gosh, excited would about you this. Be? Like a Mike. Mike? Maybe. Mike's not a bad name. My father-in-law's name's Mike. Oh, I don't God. think Mike listens to the podcast. I'm trying to think about what Maybe maybe like a Derek. Derek? Oh, yeah. Maybe. Um, You're just Aaron. But I think cool. that's a fascinating thing, right? We love being in process. We love extending grace to ourselves, but we do not. We really do not allow the concept of extending grace to others. Unless maybe they're in our camp and they're on the same journey and they use the same language and vocabulary. And as a result, we feel a kindred spirit with that person. Yeah. Uh, here's, here's an intriguing question. Sure. Are we moving now at such a warp speed around this? Because I would argue, I would argue that we've, I would argue that it's cyclical. I would argue we go first, second, third, first, second, third, first, second, third. Well, right? let, let, go ahead. You yeah, haven't I'm, asked your question. I can unpack that a little well, bit. Well, Newbegin talks about that some. Sure. Are we now so fast? Because this is what I'm sensing. Are we now moving through the world so fast with technological advancement that the third world is quickly 
quickly, and we've been discussing this, sure. moving back into the first. Well, it will. It will collapse into the first. And I think we see this in the fact that everything has become about identity, right? Mm -hmm. Everything mm -hmm. is now about your identity, whether it's a political identity or a sexual identity. It's a group identity. It's becoming really important. Right. Which, which camp do you associate with? Your COVID identity. Are you a masker or an anti-masker? Are you a vaxxer or an anti-vaxxer? Are you pro-LGBTQ? Are you anti-LGBTQ? Are you pro-trans? Are you anti-trans? Are you pro-Trump? Are you, I mean, we could go on and on. Sure. And I think that that's fascinating because that's exactly what um, Newbegin talks about when, when God's kind of transcendent power, when humans' ability to understand themselves as the creation mm -hmm. who is seeking meaning through the revealed signs of the creator, right? Uh, when we as the cre creation move toward elevating ourselves to the level of creator, the thing that's going to end up happening is the disillusion of frameworks that are big enough to sustain our needs as humanity and will collapse in on politics. Newbegin, Leslie Newbegin talks about this. I can't remember where, but collapse in on politics mm -hmm. and eventually on tribalism. Like mm -hmm. we will have to move from being a greater humanity to a lesser in some ways. Mm -hmm. And we know this to be true because we recognize that in Jesus Christ, there is neither slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, female, but all are one in Christ. Right. So maybe, maybe it's not, and I'm trying to process through this. You can help me because you've read much more about first, second, and third world. Um, I, maybe it's not so much that it's first, second, and third. Maybe it's that there's a consistent second world framework, if we want to call it that. Sure. There's a consistent thing from the beginning of one God who is transcendent, who guides us and directs us. But as we move forward on this journey of discovery, no. but as that second world framework, if that's what we want to call it, that sure. idea of a God who is transcendent, forming us, shaping us, moving us forward, that we go through barriers of first and second world, which are really, because you can see a little bit of a third world formation taking place like right before the fall of Rome and Greece, this idea of the individual, I mean, all of this is taking place. So we're doing it again. Even their trends sexually, which would be interesting to get into, which we don't need to now. Yeah, not right now, but even abortion. Sure, right? right. So you see all of this taking place again and again and again. It's like tribal, individual, tribal, individual, tribal, individual. Sure. And there's this like breaking through these walls, boom, boom, boom. We do it all the time. It's just speeding up now. And I wonder if instead of it just being like a linear thing of like we used to be first world, then we were second world, then we were third world, if it's just like there's always been this understanding of the second world, that's what we want to call it, a true thing of a transcendent God yep. who dictates to people. And as those people move through society, yep. they are colliding with this back and forth reality between the first and the third world. Yeah. And we're always having to shake ourselves through that. I think, as I've heard you talk about this, I think, yeah, we're right in the middle of a third world. But man, we are descending very quickly into that first world tribal. First world tribal. I, I could see that. I don't disagree with that idea. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I but, do. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. But I, all of this has ramifications for what we're discussing. Right. Exactly. No. And I think, you know, as we go through this, as we continue to talk about some of these pieces, hopefully it'll clarify. Um, but I do think you're right. There is not necessarily a linear movement for humanity, right? Uh, history re repeats itself. Wait, what? Uh, that's what, that's the phrase, right? Say People say history repeats itself. Those, what? those who don't study history are doomed to repeat the errors that have been made in the past. And I think that, and we'll talk some about this hopefully in our next episode, but the historical dislocation, mm -hmm. um, and we can move toward wrapping up this first one here in a minute, but I think this historical dislocation is a necessary requisite to living in a third world framework where you have to actually divorce yourself from what has come before 
whether that's through denigrating the past, saying, oh, can you believe how stupid our forefathers were? Oh, gosh, yeah. So we denigrate the past, or we treat the past as myth. We treat it as something that did not happen, or we rewrite it such that we don't have to be confronted with those parts of our history that actually make us uncomfortable. And we've seen this taking place. Oh. We've seen this all over the place in the last decade or so. Um, yeah. So historical dislocation is a necessary kind of requisite for the movement into this third world framework. And it's happening. Oh, it's happening at an accelerated rate right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is a slightly off topic, but even what we're seeing in Europe and in other parts of the world, this creation of a clean and unclean society. Sure. Is intriguing. Yeah, unpack you, that. Yeah, what we're seeing in, I mean, Germany's doing it, right? Australia, we see it even a little bit in the U.S., but we see it in other countries. Even around COVID, there's this creation of a clean and unclean society. Mm. Those who can go into places and those who can't. Those who should be avoided and those who shouldn't be avoided. We're create. you talk about history repeating itself. Like, there it is. By the very people, in some ways, in Germany, who have, um, and I'm not trying to get, but let's just be honest, who had a pretty good run at this in the 30s and 40s, <laughs> right? Uh, this creation, we are creating clean and unclean societies by our language sure, and by our actions towards people. And if we're not careful, if we don't, we have to be really careful. I mean, I was a history major, right? I love it. Sure. We have to be really careful that we don't start reliving the same story again and just... But if we make everybody in the past stupid, like what you're right. saying, right. or ignorant... Can you believe they did that? Can you believe they did that? We would never we do would that. We would never do that. But what we're going to do is we're going to do it in a better way. We're not going to make you wear the Star of David. It and might we wear be, a red... You know. it, might, it might be a mask, right? right. I think in, we don't need to get political with the COVID stuff because it's obviously not, not our place. But there is a reality that that's what's taking place. Yeah, we do mark people. People are being marked right now. People are being banished yeah. from entire continents. Tennis players, for instance, no, you know, why, there's why, why banish the Joker? I mean, like the I, dude. I mean, I, anyways. But yeah, so we're doing it. We're creating clean and unclean societies, right? Um, and, and we're we very and careful. we're ignoring, mm -hmm. in a lot of ways in the West. It's fascinating. We're ignoring legitimate genocide in China mm -hmm. uh, against the Uyghurs. Because it's too complicated. We don't like it, mm -hmm. but we like the things that we get from China. Happiness is our main priority. And because of that, we don't want to stir the pot. There's, there's something really interesting taking place um, right now. Sure. I, and we can go into that more. I, wanna, I, wanna, I think we should wrap it up. Because yeah. we could keep talking about this, but we might end up just going in circles. I want to conclude with a quote from Truman in his book, um, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And I think that this really sums up where we're at right now in a helpful way. Uh, it is important, this is a quote, it is important to understand that most of us do not think about the world in the way we do because we have reasoned from first principles to a comprehensive understanding of the cosmos. Rather, we generally operate on the basis of intuitions that we have often unconsciously absorbed from the culture around us. Correct. I'm going to read it one more time because it's so good. It is important to understand that most of us do not think about the world in the way that we do because we have reasoned from first principles to a comprehensive understanding of the cosmos. Rather, we generally operate on the basis of intuitions that we have often unconsciously absorbed from the culture around us. Correct, which is called liturgy. Liturgy. And that's a good place for us to end because the culture around us is shaping us. Liturgically? Absolutely. Liturgically, it shapes us every day. Every day. And I think about... Let's, let's start our next episode with that. Let's unpack the liturgies of the culture in the next one because it will be a great place for us to begin talking about history.
Absolutely. All right. Is there anything else you wanted to chit chat about today? Because we kind of hit on some things. Oh, like, man. how's life going? Life's been good, man. Life's been real good. Um, what's been going on? I believe I turned nine yesterday. Boom. So I've got a nine-year-old, a ten-year-old about to turn eleven in a couple weeks, and a thirteen-year-old, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, I I'm pretty pumped right now, actually. Tell me about spring break. Oh yeah. Because we're hoping to go backpacking on our longest backpacking trip to date. And my kids think I'm ridiculous, but I, when we get ready for a trip, I'm constantly counting ounces and grams, sure. trying to figure out how can I make their backpacks lighter so that they enjoy hiking for five days more, right? And the other day, hear me on this one. This is going to be good. The other day I figured out how to eliminate four ounces, a quarter of a pound from their pack weight by getting rid of their bowls that they eat out of mm. and replacing them with Ziploc bags and a koozie that I made out of reflectix insulation and a little bit of duct tape. Fantastic. It's amazing. I'm pumped about it. Fantastic. <laughs> and have you understood that you can get rid of the toothbrush and just use your finger? Well, no, no, no. We still use a really tiny toothbrush, uh, mostly because dental bills are expensive. We've had, we've had some of those lately, but well, how are you? How are you guys? What are you guys up to? You guys have had a little bit of, rona in the fam here and there yeah we yeah we have uh our littlest had it and um he had you know he did really well he just it. like destroyed it right like both a champion of my kids, both of my kids have had covid when with in which they have said well our daughter said uh, on the second day of covid it was the greatest day of her life and that is not look because she got to stay home or what i think it was that and she didn't really feel that bad and you know she was you know, she had had some Motrin or Tylenol, and she was just rocking and rolling at home. <laughs> um, and so I know that that's a gift. I'm not, like, trying to make a point with that. We're very thankful that our kids um, did fine with it, right? Yeah, thanks be um, to God. And But Brennan and I, we, we don't know if we've had it or not. I have no idea. Um, so, uh, but with that being said, um, things are going well in the right household. Um, we've been enjoying uh, this winter. You know, we had a really nice December in terms of, like, it was gorgeous. Yeah, I think on Christmas Day I had on a Hawaiian T-shirt outside or yeah. something. It was like, what it was in the world? And now it's been a little colder, maybe getting a little bit of uh, snowy stuff tonight. We'll see. But all in all, I will say this. It's good to be back at Old North. Yeah. It's good to be doing catechism on Wednesdays again. It's good to be here with everybody and, mm -hmm. and meeting new people and developing those relationships. It's taken a little bit longer than I would like. Yeah. I feel like I'm behind on yeah. getting to know people. Um, that came while I was on sabbatical. Sure. And so I've decided to go ahead and take another sabbatical here in a week. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and I'm out. <laughs> and, and here we go again. But um, no, it's been really a joy. It's been good to spend time with you now on a more regular basis. Amen. Um, and I've gotten into to fly tying, which That's has been right. really fun. That's and right. So, yeah. So this has been a good time. Good season. Good. Good. Well, I'm glad. Um, I'm going to conclude with a verse, if you don't mind. Sure. And I'm going to ask you to send us out with a blessing. Sure. If you don't mind. I don't mind. Um, I think, and we believe this wholeheartedly. It's why we do what we do. But we really do believe that it is only through Christ that the world can experience the life that it's meant to have, right? It is only through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ that we can ever hope to see unity in humanity. And I love what... Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, it's, I can't, I haven't been able to get away from this since we were in Ephesians last mm, year, yeah. but this reality that God has given us the church so that we can be built up in the church, but hopefully also in the world until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together and held together by every joint with which, is it, which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I just love that picture. 
There we go. Yeah. That's my hope for us at Old North. That's my hope for us is the Anglican communion. That's my hope for us is the world. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you, if you are not a Christian or you are a Christian, uh, if you're not a Christian, at least look at Jesus as the archetypal human by Mm. which you need to embrace as the way to live life. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a starting point. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Well, I hope you all all have a wonderful week, and let's send you out with this blessing. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen. Amen.